Welcome, everybody. So glad that you're here with us today. And we are continuing on uh, in this fun series we've been in called Straight Out of the 90s. Uh, having a lot of fun going back to the 90s, but also uh, having um, some fun as we look back at some classic stories in the Bible and uh, really learning some great principles for our lives. So I'm excited to dive in with you. want to welcome our locations. Big welcome to our Central Summerlin family. Great to have you guys with us. Big shout out to Central uh, Kingman. Thank you for joining us. Central Sunrise Mountain, we love you guys. Uh, Central uh, Southern Highlands, to those who are uh, watching online and those who are joining us in our partnership with God Behind Bars, thank you guys for being with us as well. So, I, you know, when I think about the 90s, one of the things I think about is boy bands, right? And there were a couple boy bands in the 90s that were huge, right? You had Backstreet Boys, and then you had NSYNC. And you tended to be sort of one or the other. How many of you were like Backstreet Boys people? Like that, those were, you know, I want it that way, right? Like, so that was your deal. And then how many of you were more like on the NSYNC side of things? Right? Like, uh, yeah, okay. How many of you were neither? Yeah, all right. <laughs> there you go. That's good. That's good. All right. I brought a little picture of uh, Sync here back in the day. This is when they were like young and handsome and on posters in a bunch of different teenage girls' rooms back in the day. The problem is, um, you know, we all get older and things change. And eventually you have to say bye-bye-bye to being boys and you become middle-aged men. So I thought we'd do a little uh, where are they now kind of look here and just uh, take a look like Joey Fatone. You remember him, Joey Fatone? There he is back in the day, red hair, spiked up, looking good. All right, here he is today. Let's bring that up. A little gray going on there. Still looking pretty good. He's got, uh, he's got a hot dog company now, and it's called, inst instead of uh, F-A-T-O-N-E, Fatone, uh, his hot dog company is Fat One. So, uh, you know, he's got little carts in uh, Orlando and New York and stuff, and so you go, and this is what happens, right? He goes from being Joey Fatone to being Fat One. I'm just saying it can happen, right? Like, like you go from being boys to something else. And then one more I thought we'd look at is little Justin Timberlake here back in the day. And uh, of course, you know, he's done a lot since the NSYNC days with his own albums and performed at the Super Bowl and acted. So everybody knows what he looks like. But here he is recently on Saturday Night Live impersonating the Bee Gees. There it is. Um, you know, Backstreet Boys are actually doing a world tour, a reunion tour this year. And uh, so you can go see the Backstreet Boys if you want to. And there's rumors that NSYNC may do a reunion tour. I'm just saying. But if you go see the boy bands, they won't be boys anymore. <laughs> They'll be grown men. They'll be like that other group, boys to men, right? You know, so um, a, lot of it, a lot of what drives it is nostalgia, right? You want to go. You want to relive some old memories. You want to think back to a different era. You know, you want to kind of remember when some of these people were on your wall as a kid or whatever. And nostalgia can be great, and remembering can be great, and certainly, like, celebrating the past is an awesome thing. But it's a whole other thing when we move from just sort of celebrating the past to living in the past. It's a whole other thing when we stop living in the present and stop moving forward with God because we're too busy looking back and living in what's already happened in our lives. And so I want to talk to you about a simple principle today, and that is to say bye-bye-bye to the past. 
so that you can embrace what God has for you in the present so that you'll be prepared for your future. Look, the only way you can step out of your past is to step in to the promise of God. And you gotta step out of your past to step in to that promise. So I don't know what's happened in your past. I don't know what your rap sheet looks like. I don't know, you know what your history's been like. But what I do know is that no matter what's happened in the past, if you and I will embrace the good news of Jesus, if we will step out of our past into the promise of God and leave that past behind, we can embrace a better future. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And I want to look with you at a story in the Bible that's really profound and um, it kind of captures this whole message. And it's the story of Ruth in the Old Testament of the Bible. Now let me just kind of set it up a little bit. Ruth centers around Ruth who was um, a daughter-in-law to a woman named Naomi. Naomi was uh, a Hebrew woman uh, that God had rescued the Israelites from uh, Egypt. He had delivered them into the promised land like he said he would. And now they're in the promised land. And, and uh, uh, Naomi's husband, uh, they have two boys. And so things are going well. And then eventually things get really hard. Uh, famine hits the land. There's an economic crisis. And... Naomi and her husband decide they're going to move east to a town called Moab that's about 100 miles east. They're leaving the promised land to go east. Now, the reason that's significant is if you read through the Old Testament of the Bible, almost every time somebody is called out to move east, it's a red flag. It's like, ooh, that's, that's no bueno. East is no good. I mean, that's kind of the core idea in that Hebrew mindset. Adam and Eve, when they were banished from the Garden of Eden, where did they go? They went east of Eden. Abraham and Lot, when they parted ways, what happened? Abraham went one way, Lot went another way. Lot went east. Where did Lot end up? Sodom and Gomorrah. No bueno. Right? You know, you, you see this is, that's like, that's not good. You don't want to go east. So there's a red flag from the beginning when you're reading the story, like, wait, what are they doing leaving the promised land going east? But they go to Moab, you already get the sense things are going to go bad, and they go from bad to worse. They get to Moab, her husband dies, both of her sons marry Moabite women, and then both of her sons die. And so she's alone in a culture with no safety net, with no male protection or provision, with two daughter-in-laws, and no sons and no husband. And not only that, when they left the promised land, she forfeited a lot of kind of her, her right to the land because it was passed from male descendants when her boys died and her husband died. So she's devastated spiritually, personally, in every way. She's so devastated that she, she tells her daughter-in-laws to call her the name Mara. Her name is Naomi, and Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Just call me Mara. I'm bitter because she says, God has raised his fist at me. She said, I left my home full and I'm going back empty. So she's hurt. She's bitter. She's angry. She's on the road to head back home, back to, back to Judah, back to current modern day Israel. And as they're walking along, she, I think she just has a moment where she realizes she can't support these girls that are going with her, her daughter-in-laws. Like she, she's destitute, she's a widow. They're gonna be second-class citizens the rest of their life in Israel because they're foreigners. And so she basically stops them and goes, hey, look, you guys 
are young. You still have a life ahead of you. You need to go back to Moab, your country, your country and your gods. And you need to basically go on, you know, moabmingle.com and you need to find a guy, right? And you, you can still have a future in your life. But if you come with me, like I can't promise you anything. And, and so one of, the, uh, one of the sisters does that. And Ruth is the other. And here's what we read. Ruth chapter 1, beginning of verse 14. Uh, when we get to the red words, read them out loud here with me. But Ruth chapter 1, verse 14, it says, But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and what? Turn back. Don't ask me to turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So she says, look, I'm with you no matter what happens. I'm going with you. I'm staying with you. Your God will be my God. By the way, I quoted that passage, totally took it out of context, but I quoted that passage when I asked Lori to marry me. Had nothing to do with Ruth, but it's just a great passage. Anyway, just saying. So... This is what Ruth says in this tremendous statement of faith. She says, look, I'm not going back. I'm going forward in faith. We don't ever hear about the other sister again, but Ruth got a whole book named after her. And um, one of the principles that we see here is that, look, if you want to step into the promise of God, you've got to leave the past in the past. You've got to leave the past in the past. I, I love the 90s as a Cowboys fan because... The 90s was when the Cowboys won three Super Bowls. Um, and people are mean to the Cowboys. They create all these memes and all these different things. I'll show just a few uh, to you here. Uh, one of them says this. Uh, we'll bring it up on the screen. What do the Cowboys and the post office have in common? Neither one delivers on Sunday. I know it's basketball season right now, but I'm just throwing this. I got, I, I, okay, let's go, let's go to the next one. Uh, it's not a logo. It's their rating. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yes. Well, here's the thing with, um, with the Cowboys. Cowboys fans live in the 90s. Look, when the present is as painful as the last 20-something years has been, you look back to the past, right? So when Cowboys fans hang out with Eagles fans or Patriots fans, all we can really talk about are guys like Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith and Michael Irvin, you know, who are barely alive at this point because it was so far back in the day, right? But when things are hard in the moment, the temptation is to look back, right? When things are painful in the present, the temptation is to look back. And I would even say the danger can be to look back and to take your eyes off what God's trying to teach you in the present. Some of us, if we're honest, are spending a lot of time in our lives right now looking back, wishing for what was, maybe even wishing we could go back home again, whatever that is to you. Maybe wishing you could go back to another era where your kids were younger or where you were happier or where you were healthier or where your business was really taking off or where things were really going well for you. You just want to go back to that time and that season in your life. And it's okay to celebrate some of those memories, but we all got to be careful not to idealize them to such a degree that they begin to distract us from what God wants to do in our lives in the present. Look, sometimes you just got to leave the past 
past in the past. And you gotta step into the future of God's promise in your life. And I'm sure there was fear in, in Naomi and Ruth's heart. They, there's a lot they didn't know, but you know, Ruth's like, I'm going forward, we're moving forward. I'm with you, Naomi, I'm staying with you, I'm committed to you, and they take that step in their life. And um, I don't know about you and your life, I'm not sure kind of what you're up against, what you may be facing, but the past, it's great to celebrate, it's terrible when you allow it to really distract you from what God wants to do in your present. So leave the past in the past. Uh, here's another principle then, and that is just to work while you wait. To work while you wait. So Ruth and Naomi return to Naomi's home, which happens to be this little town named Bethlehem. Kind of cool, right? Like that's where Jesus is born a couple hundred years uh, down the road, you know? Like, so they, they roll up in Bethlehem, and it's all different now. I mean, have you noticed if you ever try to go back home how things are just not the same? They might be the same, but they're not the same. I was at home last week, my hometown, Amarillo, Texas. I got to go home and see my brother, and I bring that up just to ask you to please pray for my, my oldest brother. Uh, he's very sick. He's one test away from uh, getting the green light to be placed on the liver transplant list. If he doesn't get a, a liver in the next six or eight months, it's pretty dire for him. He's in and out of the hospital all the time, and it was kind of great when we got home. He was actually out of the hospital. His name's Jim. Was out of the hospital and so we got to go to his house and we all got to kind of hang out and that was awesome. Um, he had just been in the hospital, he's back in the hospital now. So kind of God gave us a gift, you know, as a family to be able to see him in that moment. But going back home was awesome to see people you love, to see faces, but oh, we've all changed. I've changed, they've changed, people look different. You're kind of like, you see people you haven't seen in years, you're like, oh, oh. right? <laughs> You know, like, look, look what happened to you, or, or the other, or the other, you know, like, wow, you look amazing, like, you know, like, I, so it's kind of fascinating, and then places are different, we drove, to get to my brother's house, I have to drive right past the home that I grew up in, and, uh, you know, I looked at that home, and, but I don't want to go in that home, I, it's just, my parents lived there a long time ago, it's other people now, they've done their, like, I didn't really, it was home, but it wasn't home, and there's an old adage, you can never go home. You can't really go back, right? Not to the way it was, because they've changed, you've changed, things have changed, right? It may still be great, but it'll be different. It'll always be different. Well, here's Naomi. She's going back home, <laughs> totally different. And uh, Ruth is coming with her, but now they're widows. They, they, there's no social network in this time and era, so they, they didn't even have a way to earn money to provide for themselves. They were really destitute. And um, basically what you see is when they get there, one of the first things you notice is that Ruth goes to work. She doesn't spend a lot of time just kind of waiting around. She goes to work. And I was reading this just thinking like, that's a great principle for our lives. Sometimes we're waiting on God to do a miracle. <laughs> and while we're waiting on God to do a miracle, we can still get busy doing work that's in front of us. Work while you wait, right? <laughs> work while you wait. And as you're working while you wait, you might find that you know, the miracle is sometimes what God does in us more than what we're actually praying God will do to us. <laughs> you know, like So here's Ruth. She goes out. She starts working. Check this out. Ruth chapter 2, beginning of verse 2. Let's bring this up on the screen. One day Ruth 
the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. And Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And look at this. It says, as it happened. You see that? As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now, there's a lot here, but one thing I guess we should call out is that there was a law in the books. I think it's a law from Leviticus uh, 25 that when you are collecting the harvest, that you are to leave a little, you know, you get one pass through was the basic law. You don't go back and take every aspect of the harvest. You get a good pass through and you leave a little for the poor and the destitute who could then come through. They'd still have to get out in the fields and do the work, but they could then come through behind your workers and they could pick fruit and food. And again, there was no social system, so this was the only kind of net, right? So she says to Naomi, hey, let me go work in the fields, and she's just gonna follow the workers and pick what's left over. And then it says, as it happened, she finds herself working in a field that's owned by a guy named Boaz. And this is gonna be significant for a lot of reasons. And it's gonna look like it just sort of happened, but you kind of realize that phrase, as it happened, has a lot of sort of spiritual punch to it. A lot of times we're going through our lives and we just think, you know, this happened and then that happened and then this happened, and we don't realize that God is the one behind the scenes actually steering all the as it happened, all the coincidences, all the little things. So here's Ruth, she's out, She's working in a field. It just so happens to be Boaz, who's actually a relative of hers. And they just so happen to be in an era where there's a law called the kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer stated that if you were the next male living relative of somebody who died, you could, you, it was your call, responsibility, to step in and marry that widow and help her and rescue uh, you know, that family from that situation. And so all of this kind of as it happens stuff is going on. Boaz just happens to show up in his field that day while his workers are getting the harvest. And at some point he goes, hey, who's the, who's the girl back there? You know, we're picking all that stuff up. And they say, well, that's Naomi's daughter, the Moabite, who's come back. And, you know, he's heard about how much she loved her mother and how she was willing to leave her people, her own mother and father, to take care of her destitute mother, you know? So he's moved by that. So he gets his workers all together and he's like, hey, listen, nobody give her a hard time. And it's basically like, leave extra, leave extra as you're, as you're going, you know, like drop extra on the ground, like provide for her and take care of her. So he starts setting the table as this goes along. And She's just working. I read one person, this is kind of wrong, but it's sort of funny, like. <laughs> Boaz, uh, uh, Ruth, when Ruth met Boaz, she was working, not twerking. <laughs> just say it. She's working, right? She's got her, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just put your head down and go to work and let God sort it out. She's working along and all of a sudden Boaz like notices her, right? She didn't have to fight for it. She didn't have to jump up and down, try and get his attention. She's just trying to do what she can to survive. She's working, focused, and all of a sudden he, he, he kind of notices her and 
And then Naomi gets in on the whole picture because she hears like, oh, Boaz. Boaz was related to my husband who died. Hey, he's like in line to be a kinsman redeemer. So she starts kind of pitching this whole scenario to Ruth about how Ruth can basically bring this kinsman redeemer thing up to Boaz. Boaz can then rescue her in her life. The first principle we see here is uh, to work even while you wait. And then, thirdly, to let God restore what's going on in your life. To let God restore. I mean, everybody loves a good love story. I saw these uh, uh, internet dogs, these mastiffs, um, Barnabas. Let me see if I can remember their names. Uh, yeah, well, there's one. They, uh, they have these great pickup lines. and get their names for you. Madeline and Barnabas. And they're cheesy, like, like here's one. It says, you must be my backyard because I really dig you. Uh, or another one, is your name Ariel because we were mermaid for another? <laughs> or here you go, do you have a pencil? Because I want to erase your past and write in our future. Everybody loves a good love story, and that's what's about to happen in Ruth. Ruth basically gets sent out on a mission by, from Naomi I'll spare you all the details, but basically Ruth goes um, and, uh, and Boaz is sleeping and she lays down at his feet and just sort of is there until he notices her and he's like, whoa, what the heck, who are you? And she says, you know, I'm Ruth, I'm your servant. And then she says, um, will you cover me with, you know, a part of your cloak, which people have read a lot of things into that, but in the culture, the cloak was somebody's authority. What she's saying is, will you bring your family authority over our family? Will you cover me? Will you be my kinsman redeemer? And he's so impressed with how she's worked, with her faithfulness, with how she's shown her character, with how she's just had composure, and he's watched her for months. He says, absolutely. Now, in his case, he goes, I'm, I don't think I'm the next in line. I think I'm the second in line. I gotta make sure the next in line you know, isn't interested. And if he's not interested, I'll do it. And so he goes through this whole process and sorts that out. And eventually, he marries her, becomes her kinsman redeemer. That's significant on a lot of levels because now Naomi, through her daughter, even though she was a Moabite, now Naomi has her lands restored to her in the promised land. They can pass to, the, to her daughter's son if she has a son, and she does. And so here's what we read in Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. It says, Naomi took the baby and cuddled, so she has a baby, let me say that, Ruth has a baby. And then Naomi took the baby, cuddled her to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse, and look at this, and the grandfather of David. That's King David, by the way. So God restores to Naomi her land, the promised land, the connection to God's promise. God gives Naomi back uh, so much in this relationship, and he does a work in her life that really hinged on the fact that Ruth was willing to step out of the past in order to step into the promise of God. She was willing to go forward and move with God. I don't know about you and your life, I don't know where, you're, where you are, but I firmly believe that sometimes we're waiting on God to move and God is waiting on us to move. 
right? Sometimes you gotta have the faith to step out and move, start doing the work, and then you're gonna start seeing God show up to do the miracle in your life. And so this week is a great opportunity. Maybe you've been praying for a friend or a family member, just asking God to show up and work and move in their life. And uh, you know, maybe this week, as it happens, so to speak, you're gonna come across somebody who all of a sudden begins to have a spiritual conversation with you, or you're gonna meet somebody that all of a sudden they're open to God in their life, and they kind of bring that up, or a neighbor who, who broaches that subject. Listen, that's not just a coincidence. That's God moving and working in the details of your life. Just be ready for that. And we want to help you with that as we're heading into Easter. We want to pray for you and uh, for your family. And so uh, we've got cards across our locations that are called one friend cards. And if we can pray for one friend in your life who may be far from God, who may be hurting or struggling, we would love to do that. We believe God is working in the details ahead of us. And he's already working in people's hearts and lives. A couple years ago, uh, two years ago, I invited somebody to Easter and they actually made a decision to follow Jesus which was amazing. And I got to follow up with them and see the life change that happened in their life, all from a simple invitation. And so, you know, maybe, maybe one of the dynamics in our lives is we haven't really seen God use us to share his hope with very many people around us. And maybe that's because we haven't moved. See, if we don't move, sometimes God won't move. But if you'll move, then you may be surprised at how God shows up and moves. So step out in faith. Leave the past behind. Step into the future that God has for you. Let God restore. If you're waiting for a miracle right now, just focus on doing what God has in front of you. Do the work, right? Ruth was working, not twerking. She was focused on what God had her to do. Working in the fields, very menial labor, very hard work, but God used it. And we read it together. She ended up marrying Boaz. They had a son, they named him Obed. And Obed actually becomes, which by the way, this is a fascinating thing. You think like, well, how did Boaz marry a non-Hebrew woman? Uh, you know, this, because she was, she was a Moabite. But you gotta remember who Boaz's mother was. Fascinating. Boaz's mother was Rahab, the prostitute from earlier. I don't know if you followed you're all looking at me like, what? Anyway, it's amazing. Bible's so filled with just amazing connections that are so much bigger than coincidences. But Rahab was a foreign prostitute who God used her faith in a tremendous way. Well, that was Boaz's mom. So it's only fitting that he would marry this young Moabite woman and they would have a son. And then that, that family would be the, the, basically their grandson would be King David, who's in direct lineage of Jesus Christ, born many generations later. So there's a lot of comparisons drawn between Boaz and Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer who redeemed us from our sins, who bought us back through his life and death and sacrifice. Basically, and you look at the Bible, it's all of this wedding kind of imagery. He took the church as his bride. He rescued us. He restored us. He paid our debts, just like a kinsman redeemer, but more. And he's done all of that for us in our lives. And so if you're here today and you've never really crossed that line of faith, I'd love to give you that opportunity just to reach out to God, place your trust in him and ask him to move and work in your life. Would all of you please bow your heads and close your eyes? 
God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you for Jesus. And now if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, you can just repeat these words after me. Just say, dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me face the challenges that I'm up against. God, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name. Friends, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's your prayer today, if it's your commitment, I want to ask you to just slip your hand in the air. Just to acknowledge you're going to follow God today and you're going to trust him in your life. Slip your hand in the air. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for the hope that you provide for us. And I pray for each person just reaching out to you today that you'll fill them with your goodness and your mercy, that they can know they're forgiven, that you are indeed our kinsman redeemer and so much more. We give you thanks for Jesus and all that he means. In his name we pray, amen.